Gavin Peacock, hello and welcome to Exposit the Word. Hi Dave, good to be here. So Gavin, how are you doing sir? We're in the middle of a lockdown with the coronavirus at the moment. What does isolation look like for the Peacock family? <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm in the house with my wife and, uh, and three dogs. Um, we're, we're just going out for the essentials, that is, that is food. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're basically not really seeing too many people. I returned from the UK um, three weeks ago now. So I've uh, been in lockdown for, yeah. for that three weeks. So no, no symptoms of anything at the moment. But Canada's been hit, uh, as the rest of the world. It just it doesn't seem quite as bad out here as it is in, in Europe. But they're, they're taking a lot of precautions. And are you okay for toilet rolls, Gavin? <laughs> my, my wife had stocked up way before she, 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 it was as if she was preparing for this crisis in the last two years <laughs> very wise there Gavin very wise so before we get started Gavin tell us a little bit about yourself yeah so um, I uh, was brought up in a, a footballing family um, I played uh, professional football uh, for 18 years uh, following in my father's footsteps Keith who played football for 17 years years for Charlton Athletic. I played for Chelsea and, 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 and QPR, Newcastle United, amongst one or two other teams. Um, I retired from playing in, in 2002 and worked for the BBC uh, for six years in the, uh, in the media. Uh, and then I gave it up in 2008 to prepare for church ministry. I came to Canada, which where I'd been coming for quite a while and knew the area just for a bit of anonymity to do my master's studies. And I've ended up staying here. I'm an associate pastor of Calvary Grace Church in Calgary, Alberta, um, uh, where I do normal pastoral work, but also have a wider ministry where I speak globally, uh, where I'm invited, come back to the UK for about six weeks a year and other parts of the world. Um, and I speak and um, preach the gospel, do evangelistic stuff, and I do a lot of seminar teaching on the issues of biblical manhood, womanhood, and sexuality. I'm married to Amanda. We've been married uh, 31 years. Uh, I have um, a son, Jake, who's 26, and he's married to Krista. Uh, she's a Canadian uh, young lady. And uh, I have a daughter, Ava, uh, who's 23, and she's been married to uh, Austin for the last 18 months. Jake and Krista have been married for, for four years. And they're all uh, believers in Jesus Christ and members of our church here in Calgary. How amazing. You're a very talented family. I've seen um, your son's uh, MMA fighter, isn't he? And I've saw, I've saw you tweeted the other day that your, your daughter's very musical as well, isn't she? That's right, yeah. Um, Ava's always been a, she's a talented sportswoman at an amateur level and school level, um, but she always had a lovely voice. Um, I think I wondered in the, in the early years whether I'd be one of those dads that's following my daughter onto you know one of these pop idol uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. shows. But she's a lovely voice, and she she's used it in the church as well. Um, and Jake is uh, yeah he's a professional Muay Thai fighter, so that's kickboxing. And uh, he uh, and his wife own uh, a gym uh, in Calgary where they they train um, people from all ages, from kids through to you know the people like you and me that are all ex-sportsmen to, uh, to professionals <laughs> yeah. and Jake himself is on a professional contract where he probably fights about four times a year um, so so yeah the, the, the kids are, are sporty and, and, and talented but 
mostly they're, they're married to, to lovely people and no. they love the Lord. That's so good. You mentioned that you come from a footballing family. Your dad, Keith Peacock, he's a an absolute Cholton legend. They love him, don't they? Um, what was it like growing up with a, a famous footballing dad and how did you actually get spotted yourself, Gavin? It was... Uh... I would say a privilege to, to grow up in the family I did with the dad that I had. Uh, you're right, he was a Charlton legend, 17 years as one club man, and he uh, appeared most of any outfield player in Charlton's history, just under 600 appearances. Mm. Sam Bartram, the, the old goalkeeper, was the only oh, one yeah. that appeared more yeah. uh, than my dad. Uh, was also the first substitute ever used in English football. Oh, wow, um, okay, yeah. In 1965, my dad. Yeah. Um, he... Uh, I, I say in the days where men were men, they used to have just 11 v 11, and if you broke your leg, you ran it off. You just carried on. <laughs> yeah. uh, then obviously the Football Association looked at it and thought, well, we need to introduce a 12th man for you know for injuries or tactical changes. And in the, I think it's August 6, 1965, Charlton were playing at home, I think to Bolton maybe, and my dad was number 12, he was on the bench that day. And there was an injury, and he got on the field, and he was clocked as the first substitute ever used in English football. Um, and he had a full career. So um, to, to have that example uh, for me, to um, have the coaching that I had from him, mm. um, and to, I think, live in the time that I did was just great. So I just followed in that footsteps, and I, I kind of went through the, the usual ranks I, I played for my district in north kent when i was 11 i played for my county when i was kent county when i was 14 and and i remember sitting uh, with my dad on a saturday afternoon in june um was it may, may june yeah. and we were watching the you know, england schoolboys were playing scotland schoolboys on tv um and it was a it was a televised game every year in those days and my dad said that could be you next year and i was like no i, I don't think so and anyway the next year began and i got you know spotted in the playing for kent and uh and they invited me on the england schoolboys trials anyway i made it all the way through and made the squad with um michael thomas the ex-arsenal player oh, yeah. was yeah. was my roommate in those days and uh and then I had every, I, I hadn't signed for anyone at that stage. Um, I had clubs that had been, you know, looking for me to sign. Well, my dad had purposely kept me back. He said, you're playing enough football with the England schoolboys in the school. And, you know, you don't want to overplay. Um, and anyway, the, the, playing for England schoolboys, I had every club really in the country wanting to sign me. Um, I ended up signing not for an Arsenal or a Tottenham or a Liverpool, who were bigger clubs, but for QPR, because really, two reasons. Um, Terry Venables was the manager, young Terry Venables, yeah. and uh, and they had a, a reputation of bringing young players through the system. And uh, so at age uh, 16, I signed for QPR, and I joined uh, full-time uh, just after I finished my GCSEs when I was 16, and and into the world of, of professional football. You, you had a, a great career. You played for Chelsea as well, didn't you? And it was Newcastle as well, Gavin, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, so Newcastle, and uh, from Newcastle to Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was, a, it was a long career. I had 18 years, over 600 games. And wow. Scored a few goals and played for some big clubs in some big games. I wasn't the best footballer that I ever played, but I think I had a good career. What were some of your favourite memories, some of the favourite memories uh, would be 
promotion uh, with uh, Kevin Keegan at Newcastle United uh, when I was captain of the team. Yeah. Uh, we, we in our promotion season, we won the first uh, eleven games of the season, shot to the top of the uh, of the league, which is the what, what would be the championship now. Um, and uh, we played football like. I've never experienced in any of the teams I've <laughs> yeah. played for. It was as good as anything you could put in the Premier League. Um, under Keegan, we took off at Newcastle when I was there. It was packed to the rafters week after week. Atmosphere like electric. Uh, it was white noise when you ran out to St James's Park. Yeah. And Keegan wanted to play good football uh, from the back out. And we had he signed players like Barry Venison, John Beresford. Uh, Paul Bracewell, who played for England, and these are all you know champions at heart. These players. Yeah. Then he brought in Robert Lee, who uh, became yeah. a legend at, yeah. at Newcastle, played for England, and then the to, to cap it all off, he got Andy Cole uh, towards the end of the season, which just took us over the line. Yeah. And we got promotion. A uh, hundred thousand Geordies lined the streets, and when we went round the open top bus ride, so to win promotion for a team like Newcastle in a city like Newcastle was a was a great achievement. And then I think in my Chelsea days, I would have to say getting to an FA Cup final and scoring. I scored in every round to the cup final. We lost it against Manchester United, but it was the first time Chelsea have reached a cup final in twenty four years. Yeah, wow. Um, and it brought us back into the limelight again. I think add to that um, the next season, captaining us to the semi-final of the European Cup Winners' Cup yeah. uh, was a, was another uh, highlight. I, I would add to the FA Cup run that I scored two goals against Luton Town in the semi-final, which was played at Wembley uh, oh, for the oh, first yeah. time, I think, in that yeah. year. Um, so to, to, to bang in two goals at Wembley semi-final that shot us into that cup final was yeah. was a highlight for me. Amazing. Wow, what a great career. So how did you become a Christian then, Gavin? Well, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. You know, weekends was about football, uh, Saturday football, and then me playing on a Sunday uh, in my Sunday team. I became, so football was my god, if you like. Uh, you know, and, and it was everything that the world says will make you happy. You know, you have the, the great career, you have fame and fortune and, and the fans and um, it's what it's all about and you know that's probably to some extent still true today is mm. what the, the world says will make you happy and, yeah. and yeah I just achieved the schoolboy dream at age 16, 17 and um, I was living at home at the time and because football was my god if I played well I was I was up I was happy if I played badly I was down and I'm kind of wrestling with this because it's not quite what it was all made out to be and yeah. um, wrestling with maybe deeper issues of life of what's the purpose and happiness and all of this I just won it even though I was 18 years old and I was living at home uh, my father was manager of Gillingham I was uh, at QPR as a young professional my mum just said I'm going along to the local church which is a couple of hundred metres down the road uh, she's not a Christian but she's just checking it out and I said I'll keep you company I don't remember what the minister preached on that night, but he did say to me, um, I have a meeting, a youth meeting at my house after you fancy coming along. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come. And I turned up that night to that meeting yeah. um, in my uh, nice fancy sports car. It was an, a Ford XR3i. It was a uh, yeah, 1980s yeah, yeah. car. Yeah. I think I had the 1980s hair to match it. Long, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, I, I got out of that car. As I say, I've got 
you know, I've got a contract, I've got money in my pocket, I'm, I'm a bright young prospect at a top division team. Um, and uh, I got everything. And I walked into that, that room, there was half a dozen young people my own age who weren't, didn't have what I had. They, they weren't in the uh, in crowd like I was. But when they spoke about Jesus Christ and when they prayed, there was a joy uh, and a reality they had that I did not have. Um, And uh, and then over the next few weeks, I began to hear the minister unpack from the Bible, what is the gospel? And I realized then that my biggest, if I was to sum it up in relation to football, that my biggest need uh, wasn't the approval of the crowd on the Saturday, but it was to be in a right relationship with the living God. Yeah. And he provided that way through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I, I believed, and uh, I, I was a Christian at, uh, at 18 years old. That's a real football version of Ecclesiastes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, very much so, yeah. <laughs> you give me an idea for a new book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did your mum become a Christian at the same time, Gavin? No, no, she didn't carry on going along to the church uh, that was the interesting thing and uh, and I did um, and it's amazing how God works in his providence yeah. that he drew me uh, through that that instance and um, yeah and I, I met my wife literally uh, I'd been a Christian six months and I was going to night school uh, evening class in Sidcup yeah. uh, I was studying history so oh, yeah, I was just yeah. doing a little bit extra studies in case I got an injury or something like that yeah it, it was, English, it was history A-level. She sat down at the table, uh, at my table, and I, I thought, oh, she's, she's, she's a nice-looking girl. I'll, I'll have a chat with her at the break. And uh, we got chatting, and she said, oh, well, what, do you, what do you do? And, uh, and I thought, well, I've got the killer line here. You know, oh, it must work with the girls, professional footballer. I said, oh, I'm a professional footballer. She said, oh, I don't really like football. I said, oh. And I was like, oh, dear, I'm being humbled here. Um, but when we carried on talking, she was very interested when I said I was a Christian. And uh, so I said, well, why don't you come along with me to this youth group and to my church? And uh, within a few months, Amanda, my wife, had uh, become a Christian. And, and we, we, we started our relationship um, based on you know a mutual faith in God. And uh, a couple of years later, we were married. What was it like to be a Christian footballer, Gavin? And, and also... Football's a sport where the fans are so passionate about their team's players and that they that they, they, they have real heroes and you would have been really loved by the fans. How did you cope with pride whilst, you know, during that season? Yeah, I, I think I'd had, um, I'd had a certain amount of uh, good instruction from my father who actually said to me, he used to say to me, football is a very humbling game. Mm. He said, if you, if you get carried away with yourself... Uh, you, you'll be brought down to earth pretty quickly. You know, yeah. you, can't, you can't be too uh, too cocky. Uh, always keep your feet on the ground. So there was that kind of worldly uh, advice there. Um, but just then, as a as a now a Christian, um, I think realizing that pride is the enemy of the soul for every person. Yeah. Uh, that that there is a certain sense that a Christian. Uh, has a somewhat of a humility because they've recognized themselves in relation to who God is yeah. uh, and what that means. And that that is a humbling thing to start with. Uh, and then once you're living out the Christian life, it's a, it's a, it's a constant uh, journey of killing pride and grinding humility. And I think 
there's a there's a close connection with growth in humility and growth in faith. Yeah. And it's about then um, realizing that you live for the glory of God, not the glory of man, i.e., your own glory. Um, it's about being aware then that of the temptations of the pride of life uh, and how they manifest themselves. Um, and, and, and so then having that kind of uh, awareness and, and, and vigilance uh, and then realizing that, that these things of football are just temporary and that all gifts are from the Lord yeah. and to be used for to, to honour him. Yeah. I think with those sort of facets to to the, the Christian footballer it was it gave me an ability to cope somewhat with with pride and even like the the heroism that you can have from the fans and I would just add lastly that um, with relationship to the fans I think the Christian footballer uh, or sportsman sees that their gifts are from God and that there's a great uh, privilege in actually using that wisdom to um, to thrill other people and to give a service, so it's of other centeredness, if you like, to uh, other people. And when you're, they want an autograph from you, and they're hanging around afterwards, that you give them that bit of time, yeah, uh, for, for their sake, not just to boost your ego. Was you still playing football when you felt the call to ministry? No, no. I, uh, the call to ministry came afterwards um, in, in my football career. I spoke evangelistically at a few things, it, you know, youth meetings, I did uh, articles in the newspapers and different uh, media outlets, yeah. so I was open about my faith, but, but never had a, a desire to uh, lead in the church or anything like that. I hosted a London Footballers Bible study in the 1990s when I was at Chelsea, I you know, would host um, house groups uh, from our church, but not in terms of full church ministry. And I was working at the BBC at the time when the call to ministry came and I really started to sense a, a deep desire to teach in the church. And um, and that was an internal desire that then got affirmed when I spoke to the church leadership and then got affirmed when I started to, to actually exercise those those gifts. And is that when you got the move to Canada, Gavin? Yeah, so my set, I retired from playing... Uh, football in 2002 yeah. I worked for six years then in the media my, I loved my media career it was working for the BBC on TV and radio was it was just great I, I, I really thought, enjoyed it I was going to World Cups the Euros I, on their team I was match of the day match of the day two all these top shows football focus um, but it was around 2006 when I started to, like I said, this call to ministry came, and um, and then I I said to I started to do some studies, Old Testament and New Testament studies, and yeah. I said to my wife, I, "This is it, you know, the desire is just growing here. Yeah. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give up the second dream career and uh, and take some time preparation for ministry if God would have it." And I said, "We could, I could do it here in England." But my profile was really high then, you know, yeah. on telly all the time. And yeah. and people identified me as that, you know, footballer, TV pundit guy. Yeah. I saw we could go away for a while to anonymity where no one knows me or cares. Or they'll just hear what I have to say from the word of God. We've been coming to Canada for quite a few years. We knew the area here in Western Canada. I said it'll be a test of character, a test of faith. Um, and our children were 15 and 12 at the time as well and um, 
so we I came out on a student visa because um, you don't just get you know citizenship. You came out on a student visa. I did my studies and uh, thought I would come back in 2011. I was speaking to a few churches that were interested in me taking the, the position there. Yeah. And then I got offered a position as associate pastor here in, in Calgary, at Calvary Grace Church, where, where I am to this day. And yet the Lord has opened up. I, you know, My ministry is in the local church. I'm just a local church pastor, elder. But I have a global ministry that's opened up now where I... There's an aspect of my work for several weeks a year where I'm traveling and preaching and speaking in several countries around the world. As well as preaching the gospel, I know you've got a real passion for teaching biblical manhood and womanhood as well. How did that come about and, and what does that actually look like, Gavin? Yeah, um, it's interesting how it came about. Uh, early on, I would say in around about maybe... 2003, 2004, um, I, was, uh, I was I was going on holiday somewhere and I was looking for a podcast, uh, a few sermons to listen yeah. to, and I downloaded a couple of sermons from a guy called John Piper, uh, yeah, yeah. of course, you know, now I know John Piper yeah. so well, I've listened and read all of his stuff, yeah. um, but this guy didn't heard of him and uh, I just downloaded a couple of sermons, started to listen to them. And there's two things that struck me. The first was I'd never heard preaching like it. It was electric in, in terms of the preaching of the word. Yeah. The second uh, was the topic. He was preaching on biblical manhood and, and, and womanhood. And I think this sermon was particularly on biblical manhood. Yeah. And, and I had been looking at the culture, I'd been looking at the church and I'd been seeing the way the church was softening on these issues and the, the, the Church of England, you know, was was appointing women vicars and uh, the, 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 the home was falling apart, the divorce was, was on the rise, men weren't being men anymore. Um, and then add to that is, you know, I, I, so I've been identifying those problems in the culture and the church. Yeah. I, I heard the robust preaching of manhood and womanhood in, in all of its glory from John Piper. And then a real desire to build men for the body of Christ and, and marriages, so including the teaching of women there, but particularly starting with men. And, um, you know, I always say that I miss two things from playing football. One is being super fit. Yeah. Uh, because that's a great uh, feeling. I'm yeah. not super fit now. I can tell you that. <laughs> but the, the second thing is being with the guys in the dressing room because yeah. there there is something stirring and noble and great about men gathered together playing for a greater cause where the risk is higher and the reward is great. And and so the Christian men are called to something noble and something great and to build men in biblical manhood and to to then see women grow in biblical womanhood and marriages is like that foundation of society and uh, has such a knockout on effect into yeah. biblical sexuality and into the yeah. into healthy marriages, homes, churches and cultures that that's how, how it grew and um, and I've then since um, I would do a lot of teaching just men's groups and teaching in, in the local church and then I've I uh, co-wrote a book called The Grand Design with uh, my my fellow author, Dr. Owen Strayan, or we would we would pronounce it Strachan in England, um, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I think he, he likes a bit more of the Gaelic Stray. <laughs> um, and he was the uh, at the time the president of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, yeah. CBMW, yeah. which was founded 
by John Piper and Wayne Gruden. Oh, wow, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, in the late 1980s, uh, talking about, you know, the, what the Bible says about the equality of men and women, but also the differences and how those are played out in different roles. Yeah. Um, and I've uh, just co-authored a, a, a new trilogy on biblical sexuality, uh, what does the Bible teach on uh, lust, about lust, what does the Bible teach about homosexuality, and what does the Bible teach about transgenderism, uh, with the same author, uh, Dr. Strayon. So uh, so all of these things are linked together. All of them have become very hot-button topics, even oh, in the yeah. last 10 years yeah. since I've been here, mm. uh, pastorally in the church, and widely in, in the culture. And so that, of course, being a man or a woman, it just affects everyone in all spheres of life. So uh, it's become a great avenue to speak to people about God and his grand design for us as human beings and ultimately to be saved by Christ, but to then live out our Christian lives as Christian men and Christian women. We're not just generic Christian. How much of an impact has this postmodern uh, culture that we live in now had had on how people are viewing the Bible, Gavin? I think it's, it's had a, a huge influence. Um, you know, a, a, a postmodern, post Christendom, even that yeah. you know, there's there's a there's a denial of absolute truth. So absolute truths just don't seem to exist anymore for people in a po- with a postmodern uh, mindset. Yeah. A questioning of authority at the same time, and yeah. then a, a suspicion uh, of, of of authority. Um, and uh, and I think then that the church has imbibed that um, and not been clear when it needs to be clear and bold on, on these kind of topics. Um, and so now we, we come to an age where, you know, there's this sort of moral sexual revolution has just escalated. And I think the speed of it has just uh, frightened so many people is how quickly it's, it's come up. But, but I, you know, I maintain that you need a robust um, a robust complementarian understanding of biblical manhood and womanhood. What I mean by complementarian is that, that with, it's spelled with an E, complement, like yeah. they fit together, yeah. uh, equal but, but different. And it's the differences that have been downplayed in an egalitarian culture which wants to flatten any differences and that uh, the equality must mean absolute sameness, which is absurd because... You can't, you can't live in a world of just absolute sameness because there's no distinction at all, and there must be distinctions. Yeah. So unless you have that complementarian understanding of man and of womanhood rooted in creation, as God mm. made us male and female, and how our sexuality is played out from the creation design, right in Genesis 1 and 2, it can drift very quickly to an affirmation of homosexuality and an affirmation of transgender because there's nothing rooted in creation in the DNA of who you are in the image of God, male and female, that holds any sway beyond what a cultural understanding of gender might be. And so now we come to the stage where you have a sex assigned at birth, but your gender is on a spectrum and you can choose what you want to be and, and how you want to be. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a tragedy. Uh, it, it, first of all, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a heinous sin against a holy God, and it's a tragedy for human beings because it will not and does not lead to flourishing 
or, or happiness. You mentioned what an amazing impact that John Piper had when you in 2003 when you listened to his podcast. I'm interested. What other books or what other preachers have had a big impact in your in your ministry? Yeah, uh, obviously Piper for his great uh, breathe life into the doctrines of grace and his, yeah. his beautiful preaching on the glory of God, and then this aspect of biblical manhood, womanhood. Yeah. Um, I love the preaching of John MacArthur. In terms of like John MacArthur, he's just a he's just such a great expositor of the word, and he's when MacArthur preaches. You know he believes every single word of the Bible, and you might be struggling, but he believes it, and that just yeah. comes across in his preaching. Uh, I've been influenced by the preaching of Paul Washer, yeah. uh, American guy you, you'll be aware of, but yeah. just uh, Washer is a man, uh, preaches uh, like a, an Old Testament prophet in a way, um, and has been a man for the for these days in in calling people back to repentance and faith. Uh, in terms of old-fashioned gospel preaching. Um, and I love, in terms of British guys, uh, um, uh, well, the, the, they've served, and, and one is still serving in America, but uh, two Scotsmen, Alistair Begg, um, and uh, the great preacher that is, uh, yeah. and theologian that is Sinclair Ferguson. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah. And, then, and theologians like J.R. Packer have played, have played their, their part. In terms of dead guys, I, I love the writings of Jonathan Edwards and, and John Owen um, and, uh, and and read a lot. You know, read those. I read John Owen as much as I can read John Owen in terms of I have to do it in small parts. <laughs> yeah. It's freaking heavy. And, and yeah. the Puritans, um, I read as, as, as much as I can. I have been heavily influenced by the Puritans and, and in particular with the Puritans in terms of counselling because they were real doctors of the soul. Yeah. And so in... in um, in the books that Dr. Strayon and I have got coming out, the books on sexuality, actually the counselling aspect is real Puritan theology, theology and the experiential uh, theology that, that, that we're teaching um, in, in the book. So uh, just, that's just to name a few. There, there are others, but just yeah. to name a few there. Banner of Truth are, are amazing yeah. results, aren't they? Banner of Truth just yeah. keep churned out for many years yeah. just great uh, stuff on Puritans great stuff in general yeah. Um, but yeah just a really good faithful uh, publishers and you know it's just a, I think to just encourage people to read that heavier deeper work and you train your brain to uh, and soul to be able to digest it yeah. um, and the great thing about Banner with the Puritan paperbacks is they've got them into short you know, paperbacks there that short form that that you can actually get through. Yeah. Uh, it's not like a massive tome of a book that's four or five hundred pages long. It's a it's something you could do in a in a couple of weeks of uh, of good disciplined reading. Accessible, yeah. No, that's right. That's good. Gavin, if you had the chance to speak directly with a listener right now that might not be a Christian, how would you encourage them to follow Jesus? Yeah, good good, good question. Well, I would in- encourage them to follow Jesus. Uh, as, as the way that the truth and, and the life that um, that we were made by God uh, for God to live in obedience to God and that all of us uh, the Bible says every person has sinned and fall short of the glory of God in, mm-hmm. and is under the judgment of God because he is a holy and, and good God uh, and yet uh, in his great love he sent his son Jesus Christ Jesus who is a uh, fully God and yet fully man uh, 
who uh, lived and breathed and walked and talked on this earth, um, and who lived the perfect life in obedience to God that none of us can live or ever will live, yeah. and who went to the cross and on the cross took the punishment uh, that sinners like us deserve in the place of whoever mm-hmm. would believe in him, so that if we, uh, according to this great gospel, would would turn, that is to repent, to turn away from living our own life selfishly, and we recognize our sin and need of a Savior, if we were to turn and put our trust in in Jesus Christ, who not only died on the cross, but rose again yeah. uh, three days later, if we were to put our trust in him, that we would have forgiveness of sin, uh, that we would be justified before God, uh, and uh, that we would have eternal life and be adopted as children of God with the hope of heaven. If they do that, then that is uh, what life is all about, true life. And that Jesus will come again. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and he will take uh, his people, Christians, to himself to be with him forever in heaven, which is uh, a place where there will be no more suffering, tears, sin, yeah. uh, but only joy yeah. and, uh, and true community and true richness forever and that's the greatest news that is the gospel uh that's the greatest news that anyone could ever have and it's the it's the greatest uh, meaning of life uh, once you're a christian it's uh, not an easy life but it's uh, it's a rewarding life and it's a hopeful life yeah uh, and it's the true life gavin thank you so much for your time i've really enjoyed speaking to you today yeah real pleasure david gavin for anybody i want to get in touch with you i know you're on twitter and you've got a website what are those details yeah, so my Twitter handle is uh, gpeacock8, yep. number eight, that is. So that's capital G, capital P, uh, and then lowercase for the rest of Peacock, and yep. then the number eight. So at gpeacock8 is the Twitter handle, and the uh, my website is gavinpeacock.net, gavinpeacock.net, that's all lowercase. And you can contact me. There's a link to contact me on my uh, Twitter information and also uh, through the website. You can contact me as well for any speaking engagements or, or any questions you might have. Brilliant. Well, what I'll do is I'll put the links to those in the description below. I'll also put the uh, link for the books that you've got coming out in May as well, Gavin, so that people can pre-order those in the description below. Gavin, thank you so much for your time. Been really good. Super. Really enjoyed it, David. Thank, thank you. you.